Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Islamic History Exclusive. This is the podcast for Patreon subscribers and supporters of the Islamic History Podcast. We are going over the Prophet's life, the Sirah of Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We are now on episode number 28. So we're now entering the sixth year of the Hijrah. The last few episodes have involved the Battle of the Trench, which began in late Ramadan 588, fifth year of the Hijrah. Then there was the Siege of Banu Quraida, which was end, which ended around um, Shawwal 58, and it began around Shawwal 58. Shawwal is a month after Ramadan, and then it ended around Dhul Qa'ada 58. Dhul Qa'ada is the 11th month of the Islamic calendar, with Dhul Hijjah being the 12th and last month of the Islamic calendar. And so we're now entering into the sixth year. There are a few major events which we will go over eventually, inshallah. The most important events of the sixth year of the Hijrah was the Ifq, the story of the slander against Aisha, radiallahu anha, and then also the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. But before we get to either one of those, we have a few minor events to go over. We probably will not get them. I'm not probably. We will not get into either the Ifq nor the Treaty of Hudaybiyah in this episode, but the Treaty of Hudaybiyah will be coming up in future episodes, inshallah. So in this episode, we're going to cover two minor events within this period of time between the end of the siege of Banu Quraida and the the um, events that led up to the slander against Aisha radiallahu anha. So we begin with the expedition of Banu Lihyan. Uh, this took place about six months after the siege of Banu Quraida and Jamad al-Ula in uh, sixth year of the Hijrah. Jamad al-Ula is the fifth month of the year. And I give you all these months and stuff. I know I use a lot of Islamic um, months and everything, but I'm trying to help you understand or keep a track of the time and place that things are happening. So I hope they're not getting you too confused, but basically... I'm doing my best here with this. Hopefully, inshallah, works out. But the expedition of Banu Lihyan took place in Jamad al-Ula, the sixth month of the, uh, the fifth month of the year, in the sixth year of the Hijrah. Now, this was in retaliation for the betrayal of the Muslims at Adraji. We spoke about this in episode 21. Uh, the expedition or the events of the incident of Adraji took place in the year 4 A.H the fourth year of the Hijrah. This is when a pagan tribesman asked the prophet to send some companions to teach to his tribe to teach them about Islam. And the pagans wound up betraying these Muslim teachers. The prophet sent about six people out there to, to uh, teach. And the pagans betrayed them, captured, killed some of them, and took the rest of them to uh, Mecca and sold them to some of the Quraysh, who then killed them for revenge for um, deaths at Uhud and at Badr. And so the prophet wanted to get revenge for, uh, wanted to get revenge basically, or avenge the deaths, of, avenge this betrayal against him. And so six months after Banu Quraida, he, uh, the siege of Banu Quraida, he basically gathered his army and he began to, he set out for these pagan tribes that had betrayed him. But he had to go on a circuitous route. He didn't want to go straight towards them. He wanted to try to take the pagans by surprise. So uh, Medina is north of Mecca. And there's a, there was a road between Medina and Mecca. And had he gone straight towards Mecca, towards where these pagan tribes were that had betrayed them, then there were scouts and spies along the way. Both of these, both sides were being aggressively, um, doing some aggressive espionage against each other. It was 
obvious that had he gone straight towards Mecca, word would have gotten out and the Muslim might have gotten ambushed. So he decided to go on a, on a different route to try to confuse them or fool them. So he headed north as if they were going towards Syria to try to throw any spies off. However, the, um, the pagans found out. They, they weren't fooled but so much. Basically, the prophet headed north, if you can imagine, please. Um, so from Medina headed north, and then he turned left towards the Red Sea, and then turned straight south. But the pagans eventually got wind of it. They found out that the army was coming south after all, and they, um, before the prophet had gotten too far down, too far down the road, he was coming towards Medina. The uh, different pagan tribes had hopped off into the mountains and took in, um, took in cover in the mountains and got secure positions. And so the Muslims realized that had if they were going to try to fight this out, it would have been a losing battle. They would have chased the people through the mountains. They already had secure positions. Uh, they could probably continue and push on, but then word might get back to Mecca and might draw the Quraysh out. And then the Prophet had to fight all these different tribes on the outside of Medina and is just strategically wasn't good. So since the element of surprise was gone, the Prophet decided to call things off and they returned to Medina. And so that was it. There wasn't much more to the this expedition of Banu Lehyan. No one was killed. No no shots were fired. It was just an attempt to to get revenge, but uh, things didn't quite work out. Then we move on to the expedi expedition of Zulkarad. This did involve a little bit more action. This took place in Jamad al-Akhira in 6 AH. This is the very next month after the uh, events of Banu Lehyan. And there's some confusion about the exact date for this battle. Some reports state that it took place actually in the following year, in the year 7 AH. So others say that happened in 6 AH. Allah knows best. I'm just going to stick with 6 AH because it's just easier <laughs> to keep it going this way. In any case, um, it started when several horsemen from the Ghota Fan, remember the Ghota Fan was the other major tribe that had allied with the Quraysh against the Muslims during the Battle of the Trench. So just so you can see, the Muslims weren't just fighting against the Quraysh. They were fighting. The Ghotafan was a large tribe. There's a large network of tribes. The Ghotafan was their overall tribe. There are several sub-clans and sub-tribes beneath them. And so the Prophet was fighting against, you know, he had some pretty strong enemies in the Arabian Peninsula. Anyway, some um, horsemen from the Ghotafan tribe, they raided some of the Prophet's camels. And the camels were grazing at a location called Roba, which is about eight miles north of Medina. And they are being tended by a man and his wife. And these two were from a tribe called Banu Rifar. Banu Rifar was, they, the Banu Rifar was not from Medina, but they were allies with the Prophet and with the Muslims. And so since they, be, since they had become allies with the Prophet and with the Muslims, many of them were now starting to move closer and closer to the outskirts of Medina. And this man and his wife, they were among them. And the Banu Rifad eventually accepted Islam, and the whole tribe accepted Islam. But at this point in time, they were simply allies. I, don't, I don't, really don't know if the man and his wife were pagan or not. I don't really know for certain. But whatever the case is, they were definitely allies of the Muslims. And the Prophet had trusted them to watch his camels. So chances are they probably were Muslim. Anyway, and so these horsemen from the Ghotafan, they killed the man took his wife and as a slave essentially and ran off with the camels as well. A companion named Salama ibn Akwa was in the area. He was traveling with uh, one of the prophet's slaves and the two men, 
they arrived in this region where the prophet's camels were to find where camels used to used to be to find the dead herdsmen and the camels basically all gone. And they kind of put two and two together and realized that someone had come through and stolen the camels. And so Salama, he sent the slave back to Medina to tell the prophet about it. And they had a horse with him. So he put the slave on the horse and sent the man back, sent the slave back to Medina on the horse. And then Salama started tracking down the Rotafan riders on foot. Salama was, was reported to have been a very fast and athletic man. And we'll see how that goes as we go along. Salama was also armed with a bow and arrow. So Salama, he goes after them and he, he eventually tracks them down. Even though the Rotafan horsemen were on horses, basically, they still were traveling through the mountains that slowed them down. And they're also traveling with a bunch of stolen camels. So all these things slowed them down. So Salama didn't have really a hard time catching up with them, but he couldn't go out and fight them one on one. He was still outnumbered. So instead, he took a more of a stealthy route. He would stay far enough away from them where they couldn't really attack him. And he would start peppering them with arrows. He would shoot them with arrows from far off. And he wasn't attacking the men themselves. He was really trying to shoot their horses out from under them. If they didn't have their horses, that would slow them down even more. He was trying to slow them down so that the the prophet and the and the main body of the Muslim army could arrive and deal with them properly. It was just one guy with a bow and arrow. But he just starts shooting at these guys, hitting their horses and shooting their horses basically out from under them. And one by one, the uh, riders from Ghatafan, they are basically being hobbled by this one man. Of course, some of them turned around and tried to run down uh, Salomon tried to attack him, but when they did that, he was just hide behind um, a rock or hide behind a tree, away from the pass, and shoot the shoot the horse off from right under him, right from under the right as they as they went past. And also, as Salomon was going, he was causing all this confusion and harassing them. He would also take camels and gather them away and slowly take away the camels that these riders had stolen from Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Another thing that Salomon did, he would climb sometimes. Um, higher in the mountain above the riders so when they were going through a narrow pass in the mountain he would climb above them and start throwing rocks down at them further messing them up and further scattering them and disorienting them disorienting them so it's kind of amazing this one guy by himself was basically stymieing an entire force of cavalry from the Rotafan by himself with just bow and arrow and rocks he's basically outmaneuvering them and outsmarting them but eventually um, Rotafan reinforcements come to support the horsemen and they're being led by a man named Oyena ibn Hassan. And Oyena, he, he arrived basically the following morning, sat down and had breakfast with these riders from Rotafan who had been harassed all day long by, um, by Salama. And he's kind of surprised that where are the camels? Where are your horses? What's going on here? And then he looks up and he sees Oyena on a higher ledge, on a higher ridge up in the mountains, looking down at them, just watching them. He's like, what is this? Who is this guy? And then the Rotafan uh, riders, they said, this guy's been bothering us, been shooting us the whole way through. He's been harassing us. Oyena, he's just upset and he's just disgusted. He said, he sends four guys, go, go get this guy and kill him and just end this mess. And so four of the um, Rotafan men, they run up there to try to um, catch Salama. But Salama, he's very fast. Once again, he's very fast and very agile. He runs away from them, shoots arrows at them to keep them at bay. He runs away and he keeps evading them until the Muslim, Muslim reinforcements arrive. 
The first reinforcements to arrive were to arrive were three horsemen from the from the Muslims, three uh, Sahaba. There were three Sahabas named uh, Akram, Abu Qatada, and Mekdad. They told him the Prophet was coming along with even more soldiers, but it was taking them time to come. And the horsemen had, the Muslim horsemen that is, had run ahead, had rode ahead to try to help Salama. So uh, Salama warned them that there's quite a few of them, so be careful. You don't want them to get between you and our reinforcements, and they will be cut off. And one of the companions, his name was Akram, he said, basically, don't stand between me, between me and paradise. Don't stand between me and martyrdom. And so he you know, slapped his horse's reins and ran off and charged after the uh, pagans. As he ran forth, Oyena's son uh, got on his horse and, and ran after Akram. And so they started fighting and Akram shot Oyena's son off of his horse. But as the man was falling, he hit Akram with a spear and, uh, and uh, that basically took out Akram and Akram was killed. Oyena's son then grabbed Akram's horse. But then another companion, hopefully hope not getting mixed up with these names. One of the other companions there, Abu Qatada, he ran after him. He killed Oyena's son and he took Akram's horse. And now with all this going off, going along, the rest of the pagans, they ran off. They were, had already been harassed for almost a day and a half by Salama. And now he was joined by three men on horse. They had just lost another man and they were really having enough. And so they went off, and as they went off, Salama went right on after them. He kept chasing them, and he got he had he had gone so fast that he left the horsemen, the Muslim horsemen, behind. There's still still two of them there. One of them had been killed. Akram had been killed, but there's still two Muslim horsemen who had rode up ahead of the Prophet's army. But he was so fast, he left them behind also. And he just kept chasing after the Ghatafan, after the Ghatafan men. And finally, the Ghatafan, they hid inside of a canyon called Lu Qarad, and they were trying to rest and get some drink, and get a drink from a spring within this canyon. That's where the name of the um, of this expedition comes from. The expedition of Lu Qarad. This canyon was known as Lu Qarad. But Salama wouldn't wouldn't let them have any sort of rest as they tried to get down and and have some have a little bit of water to rest and drink. It, it is a desert after all. Salama would start shooting arrows at them and not let them have any sort of rest and chase them off from there. One of the pagans got tired of it. He turned around, and took out a sword, and tried to fight Oyena. And Oyena shot him down also. Oyena was doing quite a bit. And as Oyena was doing all this fighting, he was singing a song. Uh, basic poetry, poem actually. He was saying, I am Ibn Aqwam. Today is today is the day for those who suck. Yeah, okay, that's <laughs> I'm gonna to try to explain that a little bit. And anyway, I'm gonna to try to explain this this um little poem that Akram was singing. He was saying, I am Ibn Aqwa, today is the day of those who suck. His full name was Salama Ibn Amr Ibn Aqwa. Anyway. So you're going to stand now in our modern parlance, when we say something sucks or a person sucks, we're basically denigrating that person, saying that they're not good, that they're, they're bad, or that they're lacking in some good quality. In Arab terminology, at that time at least, well, first got to put the little preface is that for the Arabs, and especially the Bedouin Arabs, stinginess is one of the worst characteristics a person could have. Generosity is one of the best characteristics. And we see that that has filtered into Islam as well. And Islam, of course, 
highly encourages generosity and giving to both friends, relatives, those who are in need, those who are not in need. Giving gifts and being charity, charitable and generous is one of the greatest things in Islam. And there are several verses in the Quran that, um, that discourage and tell us of the sin of being miserly or stingy. So there is an, an old Bedouin folktale, and I had to read down to the footnotes of um, of the tafsir of the um, of the tarikh and Siro books to understand this. There is an old Bedouin uh, folktale where a man was so stingy that he would basically suck the milk out of his camel's udders so that his neighbors would not hear the milk falling into the bucket and come and ask him for any. And so this is the, the low level of stinginess that he had. So when he is singing the song, he's basically disparaging them, calling them very, very stingy, but not really meaning in the same way, like really being stingy, basically saying that they, calling someone stingy was like calling someone a bad, a curse word in our time. So he's calling them stingy, but he was saying that they sucked, but not in the way that we understand a person sucks. So I hope that kind of helps you understand what it means. So he was calling them, he was cursing them in a way, but not, not he was calling them stingy as a curse word, not saying that they were actually stingy, because chances are they probably weren't. Most Arabs weren't at that time. And I hope you got all that. I know I really went around the road of trying to explain that little thing to you. Well, finally, the Prophet ﷺ and the main body of the Muslims, they finally caught up to Salama. And by now it's getting dark. They're now in Dhulqadah, the Dhulqarad, this canyon called Dhulqarad. And the Muslims may camp there. Salama can't keep chasing people when it's dark. Uh, Bilal ibn Rabah, the uh, famous companion, he was there as well. He slaughtered one of the camels uh, that um, Salama had recaptured and was roasting it for food. Salama then asked the Prophet ﷺ if he could lead a hundred men in pursuit of the Ghatafan and take care of them. But the, and the Prophet laughed. He was really surprised that this one man had done all this all this, and had recaptured the uh, camels and had chased all the Ghatafan. He had done all this by himself with nothing but bow and arrow, no horse, no nothing. And Prophet laughed and said, don't worry about it. By, I'm paraphrasing once again. By now they're back in their homes and back in their territory. So don't worry about it. And so he rewarded Salama by giving him um, both the share of a foot soldier. Remember, before, remember we spoke about this in uh, the last episode, we spoke about the siege of Banu Quraida. He gave uh, Salama both the reward of a foot soldier and uh, an award of the reward of a horseman. So he got four shares total. One as a foot soldier and then three as a horseman, even though he had no horse. Well, he had given his horse to the slave to ride back, so I guess so. And the reward that he gave him was because the Ghatafan had left so much property behind. And I'm not sure if I mentioned this before. As Salama was chasing them through the mountains, the Ghatafan were throwing away their spears and throwing away their clothes, trying to help them move faster because Salama would not let them rest and he kept harassing them. So they were just throwing their wealth and their property down to allow them to move faster. And so all this had been gathered by the Muslims. This was part of the plunder of this expedition. And that's pretty much it. I really don't know if the man's wife who was captured was ever recaptured by the Muslims. I really don't know that. But they did happen. The Muslims did get most of the camels back. So that's it. It was just two minor events. And uh, that's going to do it for um, for both of them. So we're about to wrap up this episode. But I did mention uh, regarding there are two other major events that happened in the sixth year of the Hijrah. 
There were the Battle of Banu Mustalik and the Ifk, the slander against Aisha. And then I said two, but there's actually three. The third thing was the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. But the Battle of Banu Mustalik and the slander against Aisha are kind of related. And I spoke about them already. The story of the Ifk, the slander against Aisha, is covered in the Islamic History Podcast, episode 4-0. I, I devote the entire episode to the slander, but also we go into the events that led to, to the um, expedition or the Battle of Banu Mustalik. So both of them are covered in very good detail. I think we did a pretty good job with it, alhamdulillah. So if you haven't heard that episode by now, if you want to fill this gap in, Go over there and check it out. I'm going to skip it because it's already been mentioned and I've already covered it in very great detail. No need to go into both of those events again. So, inshallah, if you haven't heard it and you want to fill in the area that comes after this episode, go and listen to uh, episode 4-0. And in the next episode of Islamic History Exclusive, we, we will pick up on the events after the uh, slander of Aisha. Radiallahu anha. So until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.